From the crossroads of America in the Hoosier state of Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now in the heartland. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO at Powder Keg, and I will be one of your hosts for today's conversation. I will be joined in studio by co-host Christopher Toaf Day, CEO at Elevate Ventures, and none other than Nate Spangle, head of community at Powder Keg. On the show today is Drew Beachler, founder and CEO of Holder. Team, you know, I mean, and who you have in the founding team is also just, that's always really what makes or breaks any idea too. Drew Beachler is the founder and CEO of Holder, a Web3 CRM and marketing automation platform that powers customer data for the tokenized world. Before starting Holder, Drew was the director of marketing at Venture Studio High Alpha, where he helped launch 35 companies in his six years with the firm. Drew has also been part of more than $3 billion of tech exits throughout his career. So on the show today, we're gonna to cover a lot of really interesting topics, including marketing essentials for all kinds of executives, practical applications and the future of Web3, as well as startup founder do's and don'ts. Here's Drew Beachler, founder and CEO of Holder. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is a blast. So good to be with three friends and fun people. So hopefully listeners as well have a lot of fun listening to this. It's going to be a good time. It's excited to have you here. I know you have your own podcast focused on it, all things Web3 called Hold On For Dear Life. Yes, we do. It's a play on our company name, Holder. And then there's this moniker in the industry. And actually it's probably, it started with Wall Street bets and that sort of thing of the HODL, somebody misspelling HODL. And then all of a sudden it became like, oh, HODL means hold on for dear life. And so, yeah, we decided to name our podcast that. And so we typically, it's more, yeah, news roundtable. Let's share some highlights on things happening in Web3 and crypto. But yeah, so That's love the podcast good marketing. super excited to, to get to chat with you all. For those that don't know Holder, do you mind just giving a, a quick flyover of what the business is? And I, I know you've had some pivots along the way, but talk to us about the business today. Yeah, happy to. So Holder is a marketing tech platform for the blockchain vertical in kind of the most basic sense. We are specifically, our wedge is via messaging and CRM technology. So we are, we can probably talk about this too, but if you're in the Midwest or from Indianapolis, you're probably familiar with Exact Target in many ways. We are just Exact Target, but instead of sending emails to people, we send uh, what we call wallet messages to someone directly in their inbox, in their wallet inbox. And so it's this new Web3 messaging vertical and marketing channel. So marketing tech for the crypto vertical. Very can we, cool. Can we go deep into wallets for a second? Yeah. So, I, I so I, yeah, I got to pull mine out. Talk to us about wallets. What is a wallet? And what's the difference between all these different wallets out there? And why would I choose one versus the other? And why should I merge stuff? And let's just go deep into that for a second. Oh, yeah, definitely. Wallets are, uh, and there's a handful of ways. I mean, we start, when we talk about like a crypto wallet, it is a account, basically, that you own. And you are, and this is one of the basic premises of uh, cryptocurrency, of blockchain as a whole, I would say, is around kind of ownership. And so, a, there are two major types of wallets. There's one, this is going to get real technical, but one called a custodial wallet. And so this is, I create an account with Coinbase.com and Coinbase essentially owns the wallet on my behalf. So essentially think of this as a bank. So I go to Chase and I create an account with Chase actually holds the physical dollars that are in my account. 
So that real is quick, a custodial wallet. So they're the quick, custody. So custodial wallet, Coinbase. But I have to. I would have to go set up a Coinbase wallet. Do I automatically have a wallet if I just sign up for Coinbase? Under the hood, yes, actually, there is a wallet that holds those assets. You, there is. This is more in kind of cryptography. There is a product called Secret Phrase, Secret Seed Phrase, uh, and this is like just standard kind of encryption level stuff. But basically, Coinbase is holding onto that phrase for you, in more more or less. And then the, this version of the non-custodial is you are custodying that private seed phrase. And so you are the bank yourself in this kind of realm. And so this is where there's lots. And so basically, that is all run by the blockchain itself. That's all just kind of code and technology managing this. And so all of these like different wallet providers, quote unquote, are just different UIs on top of the same exact data, basically. But the keys themselves, that's actually what the wallet is, because that actually has access to the things that are held in that wallet. If you forget your phrase, is it true that you've lost your wallet? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. There, there are, yeah, it's, it's gone forever. I'm so never going to get my horse back. Yeah, that's all these <laughs> the people losing Bitcoins and things like that on old hard drives. That is that. But if you always have that phrase locked up somewhere, written down somewhere, you can always kind of recover that in any UI wallet application. There are definitely like some interesting startups too. They're doing like ways to protect that, but also back it up in a way. And there's lots of pass keys on, on iCloud and things like that too that kind of back all that stuff up too. That's interesting ways to do it or etch it into a metal card. I don't know. There's some high-end kind of things that are just like unique ways to store these. But yeah, if you lose those, that 12-word seed phrase, it is essentially gone, which is why it's not for the faint of heart, but also then there's lots of platforms and products like Coinbase that have easy ways to do this and you don't need to be your own bank, but also engage in the ecosystem. If Sorry. I lose my, if I lose my phrase, do I only get one wallet? Am I just out of the blockchain economy? You can create as many wallets as you want. And that's kind of part of the challenge with our business too, is one individual could have 15 different wallets. And so how do I consolidate these identities? Like what does a CRM look like when someone engages with my brand and that many different ways and that many different accounts, identities in many ways. It's more like a wallet is more like an identity in, in some ways because all of, you know, what you're doing on this blockchain with that wallet is all cemented, you know, forever on that like literal blockchain. Well, and one of the things that is key and a core value of Web3 and blockchain is this idea of decentralization. Um, and that's literally uh, what they're talking about, right? When they say you can have your own wallet, you don't have to have it at a bank, you don't have to have it on someone else's account. You can actually own that on a flash drive or on your laptop. And that is your own bank. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I know that's core to your business model. And it's even back to Bitcoin, the original kind of cryptocurrency. It was born out of the 08, 09 crisis. This is, what is the word? On, oh, the Great Depression. That's what I'm trying to think. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time since like the Great Depression, really, that we saw like banks collapse and like real, like from that perspective. So it gave rise to this idea that, and especially outside the US, that might be underbanked more or might not have access easily to banks. Could we build a currency system, a financial system that is purely decentralized and trustless where I don't have to store my money in the bank, I can store it on code. And because the code cannot be hacked or broken or whatever, that money is secure. But then it has some of the trade-offs. You are your own bank then. So like the security that a bank has, you have to operate or think about it in that realm. We're, we're five minutes into this podcast and I don't want to lose any listeners out there that are like, oh, Bitcoin, I'm, I'm out. I'm not into that. Could you just talk quickly about a few of, I know Web3 is so much more than Bitcoin. 
But are there, to the person that doesn't care directly about Bitcoin, how does Web3 still going to affect their life? Definitely. I think this is more just, it's just a different kind of technology for how data is stored. And so if you've been in, if you're been in technology, you understand what a database is. A blockchain is just a different kind of database and how the record is stored. There's lots of products that are built on these databases that consumers interact with in many you know ways today. Millions of consumers are using these products in kind of fun and engaging ways. So I think that's where we're leaning a lot in more too, is like, how do we help a lot of these consumer forward companies just engage with their customers in more unique ways? And yeah, some like fun examples, like just like recently, and a lot of these are around like, how do you leverage? There's some unique things because it's tied to open marketplace, open trading. So you get a lot of the financial kind of incentives, which is what led to a lot of the bubble of people just betting on coins or pictures of apes or whatever. But <laughs> but it is like core to the, the product itself that there's like a free market that I can go and sell this asset. You know what I mean? So there might be a price worth it, this asset. So anyway, there's one new product called Friend Tech, and it's basically you buy access to someone's kind of Twitter feed, basically. So like I can post updates, or it's almost like a Patreon, really. So I can post updates to it, but you have to own one of my keys. But I can also sell and trade that key at any time, and it's on a bonding curve. And so the first person who buys it, if they sell it to the hundredth person, it's uh, exponentially higher what they've made on that like key and things like that. So there's just like some interesting, fun ecosystems like that. There's a a really popular dating kind oh. of experience called Unlonely recently now. And you can like basically wager based on whether people should have a second date. And it's just like a live stream version of a Zoom date. And, <laughs> That's fun. Um, and and I, I have not engaged or watched it that much. So I'm like probably butchering a lot of the explanation of it. But like just how do you use this like unique technology around buying and selling digital assets and goods? And I think writ large, like maybe to take a step back, more and more of our lives are moving digital online. And like more and more of the goods that we collect, the goods that we buy, whether it's my Fortnite skin or back to the, the early days of buying MP3s and videos on iTunes, more and more of the goods we buy and the things we interact with live on the internet. And so that's where it's just, this is just a unique and better way to manage a lot of those goods. And so that's where I think the future of more of this is just where we're heading. And it's just, this is the underlying technology. When we talk about wallets, like, it's like talking about IP addresses, like, Nobody knows what the IP address is for your website. You just know you go to holder.xyz or powderkeg.com or whatever. You don't know what the underlying IP address is. And none of us are talking about IP addresses now. So, so do you think this will get us closer to a place where like marketing is just totally flipped upside down? So historically, you go way back and like we'd put up a billboard, right? We put the billboard near a town because that's where people congregate, whatever. More people are going to see it. Things fast forward over what the last century, let's say, and then this thing called the internet comes around and. And then, but, but markers are always trying to find you, right? How do I find you to buy my widget? And how much more efficient would it be if I didn't have to, you didn't have to find me? What if I could just tell you, I'm, I'm ready to buy a pair of blue jeans. I'm ready to buy a 60 inch TV. And all the people who sell 60 inch TVs are like, there, buy right now. Here's my price. And a one click. So I don't have to search. I think Toph's pitched this business before on this podcast. I have. I'm bringing it up again. Wait, what was the because name? I'm really passionate about this. I think somebody needs to solve this issue. And I think you might be the one to solve it. But like, why can't we do that as a consumer? Why is it so hard? Why do we have to go search this thing called the internet anymore? Yeah, yeah. In the like, it's that power dynamic between brand and buyer. And that's what got me all into this around the marketing side of things is I think that this is a unique opportunity to completely shift that power dynamic between the buyer and the brand or the buyer and the, the producer of the product, the advertiser, if you will. And I think 
in many ways, yeah, like marketing's been, we've been evolving in the, the digital marketing era into just tracking everything, but yet still like that is also like the biggest pain for most marketers is I still don't really understand what works or why and like where some like leads are coming from, though I'm tracking everything, everything. so much data. <laughs> and like I just buy products to help me manage the data now, but I'm not actually getting any better at, yeah. at that. And that's where like I saw in marketing was like we're just in this inevitable death spiral to optimizing to the nth degree my Facebook ad campaign. And it's just not fun or interesting to me anymore as like a marketer. And this is very interesting of it changes the power dynamic where the users think like cookies are going away, the move toward digital privacy, the move towards like more and more ownership. There's lots of like way outside the Web3 world of like research that's showing this, that like consumers want to own their data, consumers want privacy. And then I think that there's another story for what we say versus what we do. Now, sure. This is the trend. And so we're seeing like the cookie die, whether it's in like EU regulation or CCPA and many others. But this is like bringing about this, like brands need a better way to engage with customers. But also I think customers really hold the keys, pun intended, <laughs> but whole, customers hold the power of like my data and my relationship with the brand. And so I think this is just a technology that has the opportunity at least to be the middleman that manages that relationship between when I am a buyer and I want to give my data or give access to my data, my interests, my purchasing kind of behaviors. I can manage that on a blockchain. I can revoke that at any time. The brand has transparent, open access to this. And so that's, yeah, when I, if I were to talk about a mission statement for us, it's how do we make marketing more transparent, open, and creative. What are some of the brands that are doing this well today, in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's kind of two sides, but there's definitely some that are leaning in more, like I'm a traditional brand leaning in today into kind of Web3. Like Nike is, Nike and Starbucks are probably the two like just, major they get a lot of headlines but also they're just doing things in really unique ways nike purchased a nft brand called artifact well, it was probably about 18 months ago a little over a year ago and for hundreds of millions of dollars it was undisclosed but yeah major and it was at the bowl they they cashed out at a good time but um, yeah. the peak but like they so they've done the acquisition approach but then they've also built a whole internal team kind of program called dot swoosh and all this lives on the backbone of a blockchain. But if you were to engage with it, you'd have no idea. You go and you sign up for a .swoosh account. You are now part of this like ecosystem. And it's very focused around co-creation of Nike products and like heavy like Air Force One culture and collectibles. You know, I mean, that's just like part of that ecosystem too and sneaker culture. And so it's a community. Yeah. And that's where like they've leaned in heavily on that front and I think are doing really cool things around collectibles, giving exclusive access, you get to co-create the next design of the Air Force One or put some cool designs on top of them. And they're starting to layer that into with their purchase of Artifact. I think they're doing some really cool things. Starbucks is also leaning in heavily, a whole brand new loyalty program that sits alongside their existing loyalty program. All of us have used it, the stars and the app kind of thing. They have a similar program, it's called Odyssey, a few hundred thousand users in the beta right now. And all of it's just a loyalty program, but the database that they're using is a blockchain. So all the assets you're collecting, all the points are on chain and I can essentially sell and resell these in an open marketplace and kind of reuse them in any way we want. So when I think about the future state of a lot of this is when we think about digital goods or whatever, and what does this enable? It's yeah, all of my Delta points are on chain. So when Delta makes a decision that I can't go into their, that I don't like with their like loyalty program, I can just sell all of my Delta points for whatever, United points or sell them for Starbucks points and go and buy some coffee with it instead. But it's all in this open kind of access market. Those are cool ecosystem. examples. I yeah. really like that. 
And we're talking about brand, which I think is really relevant to some of your past experience working at High Alpha. Venture Studio really focused on brand-centric uh, B2B SaaS companies. And, and I'd be remiss if we didn't take a, at least a few minutes to talk about some of your experience there, because I, I imagine it largely influences what you're doing now at Holder and, and how you're going about things. Oh yeah, 100%. It was absolute, it was a dream job to get to work there and I with bet. that team there. Some of the smartest people that I know in, in, in the world leading and building that company. But yeah, I joined, so High Alpha was the original, kind of created, coined the term Venture Studio in 20, kind of 14, early 2015, when they first started thinking about this and fundraising. I joined as part of the the initial kind of early team and led marketing there from 2015 to 2022 before I jumped out to do Holder. And yeah, just an amazing place. But the whole essential innovation that they had was we love building companies. So the, the four co-founders and partners were all entrepreneurs, CEOs, founders in the past. Like we love building companies and, and we want to invest in these companies as well because they're like a dream job that is like we're building companies and investing in companies at the same time. And that was the birth of Holder and you guys have had, or the birth of, sorry, that was the birth of High Alpha. And uh, you guys have had lots of other High Alpha CEOs and, and other people on the podcast, I'm sure. But like they had, it was funny, they had started doing this nights and weekends with companies like Tinderbox, which rebranded to Octave and sold to Conga and Lessonly and Visible and a couple of others. And so they were doing this nights and weekends. And it was like, oh, what if this was a model we could build out that like we would raise a fund that could invest in the companies we were like starting out of the studio. And so it was essentially just a company, a company to start companies. And so that was the mission statement of the company was we're going to start 10 to 15 companies over a three-year period. And they're still rocking and rolling, but it was an incredible experience to get to, yeah, our, we woke up every single day figuring out how to start new companies. And so we'd start somewhere in the five to 10 companies a year range while I was there. And all with this lens of B2B software. And that's what we know best. That's what all of our experience and background was. B2B software companies are a little less, they're a little more resilient and not quite as tied to market conditions, consumer appetite and trends and that sort of things as consumer and B2C brands. And so there's more of a like kind of repeatable playbook that we could run. And so that was the original model. And yeah, it's been working really well. It's always hard because it's, these are, this is pre-seed stage companies. Mm -hmm. So like the lifespan of something like this is going to be uh, a decade plus to really know, is this working? Where like a typical venture fund, you have, you know, by fund two and a half, you know, what is, you know, your your, your real return going to start to be for these funds and are you good at it or not? But they've had, you know, enormous successes and exits already. And um, I think they've probably started a little over 40 companies now, but there's 45 or so. I got to be part of at least 30, 35 companies while I was there during that seven year span. Out of seeing all of those companies that were launched out of there, I know those were whittled down from hundreds of potential ideas of things that, that you could, probably thousands, yes, that you could have pursued. Out of seeing all those different patterns, is there something that you would say that B2B SaaS startups consistently have to be a good idea that's worth going after? Yeah, and I think these are the same kind of examples or things that like a, typical VC would like point two to like market matters and the market size matters so much. And is this a, a push versus pull ecosystem and market or people asking for this? How big can it get? And, and those are like, I don't know, tongue in cheek. Cause I hate that when you hear that from an investor and now sitting on the other side of it, and cause you were like, 
this is the biggest thing in the world. This is going to be huge. And you just can't see it yet. You know what I mean? But like, it does really matter in terms of, and it's, and mostly it's just, it's easier. Like in terms of you can point to a a real kind of trend in clear direction. So it's what is the momentum basically in the world that's meaning this is like the right now period for this idea in this business. Like that is like uh, an ultimate trump card in many ways. Um, Team, I mean, who you have in the founding team is also just like, that's always really what makes or breaks any idea too, is do we have, um, the right team in place because I don't know the stats, but whatever the amount of companies that aren't doing what they originally set out to do, it's in the very, very high percentage. So oh, yeah. you well, have to be able to, yeah, it all comes down to, is the team able to be resilient and figure out what's yeah. the right path? And I think that's probably like a, just even a lesson over that time period too, of like the most successful companies, the most successful entrepreneurs and founders, they are resilient and flexible and they are willing to have a very strong opinion and point of view and not be like pushed around, but also be flexible in that we're going to find what is the true opportunity here. And yeah, it's really, it's really a special skill that I don't even know if I truly have it. Would you agree to as the resident VC at the table right now? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I think the background of being at high alpha two for seven years and, and seeing all that stuff develop as a real asset as a startup CEO. I, I want to share still very different from being in the seat for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's still like night and world different, but it was yeah. fun where it's, we are building companies and getting to see yeah. a little bit of. You learn through osmosis yeah. for sure. If you had to pick yeah. three traits that you saw 30, 35 companies launched, if you had to pick three traits that founders had that you try to incorporate at Holder or in yourself, what would those be? I'm, I'm going to see what Drew says on this, but how if I actually did a study and there's two words, but I want to see what Drew says first. Yeah. I, fun. I, yeah. I, love I, that. I don't know. The, Scott Dorsey, one of the partners, he loves this word. And I think it was, I can't even remember the year it was, but it was like the winning spelling bee word, indefatigable, basically unable to be fatigued. You know what I mean? It was, is like the definition of this word. And I think, and we talked about whatever that year was like quite a bit, but I think that is kind of just like, that resounds in my head of you are like relentless and like resilient, I think. And I think a lot of, I'm a big runner. So think of a lot of this is a marathon and like that kind of like mentality and just like the parallels there. And so I think that's like just huge is like the indefatigableness of a founder of you're just like can run through brick walls. I think too, I don't know what the right word, but this is like uh, uh, uncapped ambition. Like you, there is no like limit to, and this kind of, I think applies to a lot of things. Maybe the third thing I would say is actually just an insatiable learner. And I think the uncapped ambition kind of applies to that of there is no limit to like what I don't know. I'm always learning new things. Like I love being the dumbest person in the room. I think there are people like that or like the people that I want to attract in my company the people I think make really good founders. And I think that leans into Midwest humbleness too. But I think just, I'm always learning new things and I have this ambition level that, that is uncapped. I don't know if, if any of you listen to the acquired podcast, Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal, just one of my favorite podcasts. I mean, they had the CEO of NVIDIA on recently this podcast. I was saying, and this is circulating around LinkedIn. I reposted it anyway. So everyone's probably seen this, but he asked him like, oh, would you do this again? If you're sitting down with like, three of your closest friends tomorrow. And he's like, would you do this again? And he's like, oh, hell no. Like, he said, no, that's right. Yeah, no. Yeah, he said, hell no. And it's just too hard. I know now yeah. what I didn't know then. And, and he has this trick of like, just it, the entrepreneur just always just has this idea in their mind of like, how hard could it be? How hard, right. yeah, how hard, how could, hard be? could it be? And so I just keep telling myself that. And I think that's, I don't know, there's a lot of that incorporated there too, of just like this, the 
entrepreneur's delusion. I'm gonna I'm gonna write and coin a, a, a post around that or something sometime. But it's just this like level of delusion almost that this is gonna happen when the world is this big and this needs to exist in the world and not to the degree that like build it and they will come, but um, that I'm willing to do anything to make it successful almost. Are you ready to transform your brand with award-winning video content that captures your vision and connects with your audience? Check out Alchemy, the experts at building your brand using video. From story-driven social media snippets that leave a lasting impression to compelling full-length documentaries, they have got the expertise to take your brand to the next level. Alchemy is actually our video partner here on Get In, and they do amazing work. All the videos across social, across YouTube, all that is done by Alchemy, and, and they're an amazing partner to work with. Reach out to me, Nate, at Powder Keg, or check out alchemyfilmco.com to get connected with Alden and his team. They will take care of all of your video needs. Yeah, what was the what, what was your take what on? What were the two words? They're not study. nearly as fancy as your words, but it comes down to grit and yep. creativity. And you described all that stuff, right? Grit, one foot in front of the other. You just got to stay after it. And creativity, being willing to change, open-minded, right? You got to find that right path, that product market fit, et cetera. Like grit and creativity. It sounds simplistic, but it's a manic bipolar world. Yeah. And speaking of grit, I, I would imagine this has been challenging for your business in the last, you, you talked about the, the bull market and the peak 18 plus months ago, learning to fundraise through that, learning to manage a, a business in a market that still has so much potential with Web3, but certainly didn't get positive headlines last year. How did you manage all of that and at the same time manage the, well, what's the total addressable market of this thing that's evolving right now and is clearly a blue ocean, but you have to kind of balance that? Oh, yeah. That's such a hard question. The TAM question, which we can come back to, too. But I think it's been, it's been a blast. Like, in many ways, yeah, like, incredibly, this has been the hardest time period, I think, to start any startup in the last 10 years, period. Totally. It doesn't matter whether you're in Web3, even if you're in AI and you're, like, the hottest thing, it's still, like, the hardest time periods ever. Oh, been. we're all in AI there. right now. This is a, a massive moment of opportunity where you're betting on jockeys, right? So, a lot of this early early AI and Web three by like Web three is not all created equal, right? There's all kinds of things that add real value. And so, I think sometimes people paint too broad of a picture. Like they hear Web three, well, that's not cool anymore. It doesn't work. Well, well hang on, what are you talking about? Web three, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's where like it's can we pivot like or talk about ourselves that we're a next gen marketing tech and messaging platform. Yeah, yeah. and it just happens to be. Uh, it's through this vertical of crypto users only is who we target. And the message, this is my sales pitch now. And the messages we're sending are 10 to 15 X better than anything they're else sending on any other channel. Do Quantifiable you want, ROI. Do you want something that converts at 10 to 15 X better? doesn't matter who you are. I don't have to talk about crypto. It's just, this is the way you reach a consumer. And so anyway, like it's kind of, that's evolved. Like we had to evolve, like how do we get out of being a cool technology into being a we solve a problem, we bring new revenue yep. in. Yep. And I think businesses at large have had to figure that out. And then I think too, like we, in our industry, it's washed out as maybe like a too strong of a word, but like we've just seen the pruning of the branches, if you will, in <laughs> the Web3 and kind of crypto ecosystem of people that either weren't in it for the right reasons or the ideas just weren't great. And we've seen this across lots of verticals, but I think in many ways that's made it good where our business is still here and around and we've been building now for 18 months and so we have lots of real product real use cases and case studies and we have lots of folks competitors that raised 10 plus x what we did and are now at a business and, and, so, and so there's it's just separated who's in it for the for the long haul and and who was not and so i think because of that we've 
been able to move at just a different pace where it's not quite as much hype and we can focus really on how can we drive value for your business? How can we really help? And it's not just people were able to also just slow down a bit more where like when things were just ripping and it was clearly a bubble, everything was like a kind of pseudo hair on fire problem. And so now it's we're getting back into how do we just build a, a good business and how to not we just chase a hype cycle, but let's get back to the fundamentals a little bit. And I think that all of that's writ large good for us, for the industry, the ecosystem as a whole. But, but yeah, it's been an incredibly great learning experience. The last 18 months has been fun. Our team is incredible. They've all hung on that the huddle motif and pun is really fun because uh, that's exactly what I feel like our team, the builders in the space are doing. How, how did you talk about TAM? Yeah. And then TAM is, it's difficult. And so like the most recent version that I'm talking about it is people don't really understand this, but like the crypto market, and let's not even talk about, I don't know what it's at today, like over the last week or whenever we're talking about this, Bitcoin and things have had like 15% jump because there's lots of trading speculation based on the ETF. So like before all of this was still like a $1 trillion market, you know, in assets, like the buying power within this ecosystem is massive. The like user base, you know, per buying power, like that kind of like per capita is just like wildly different. And so if we just look at like the revenues that's happening in crypto is 30 billion plus or so. Usually 10% of her revenues are spent on marketing expenditures. That's $3 billion of like marketing spend. That's how I talk about TAM in a mm -hmm. like very tiny-ish market. And that's only 30 billion or so revenues, but then like a trillion dollars of like pure buying power and kind of market cap essentially. I don't know how it lands, but that's like the most recent kind of way of thinking about it, of trying to boil it down into what do companies typically spend on their marketing spend? And we are part of that spend, like writ large, if people are actually spending that on us today or on technologies like us today, eventually that's where it's going to net out to because it doesn't matter what industry you're in. You're like somewhere in that seven to 12%. Do they treat it like a channel today in a sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is um, alongside their email marketing newsletter or we do their email marketing newsletter with them because we have an email product or it's alongside their Discord channel or things like that. It is... And a lot of it for us today is like evangelizing this as a new modality and new channel to to reach customers because that's exactly how we want to how we want to view it. Yeah, I want I want to go back real quick and share something. I can't remember if we talked about this on a previous podcast or not, but there's a guy named David Adams that did a bunch of work around innovation over in, in uh, Cincinnati, and like they stood up four hundred thousand square feet of, of innovation space, working with the big corporates, the PNGs, and all those kinds of fun things. He came back to Indiana, and he shared some numbers with me recently that Stanford, now this is a little bit different than like the venture studio, high alpha, or just general startups, et cetera. But so this is more tech transfer, but people think about Stanford, right? And you think, and they are sophisticated, a lot of smart people going there, all that kind of fun stuff. Over the last, I think roughly 30 years, Stanford has had, they've tried to commercialize 6,000 companies, 6,000, 1,440 or 1,443 roughly of those companies ever made $1. 53 of those companies ever made over a million. So it just goes to show how, and especially when you're diving into a new technology, a new world. And um, that's like the cream of the crop. It's, cream of the right, cream, right? Oh, whoa. it's really insane. We know crops around here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's really some insane uh, numbers. You know, yeah. That brings should, you to a point that, that I wanted to double click into was you talk about your competitors raising 10x of, of what you raised. How many of your competitors are based in the Midwest? Oh, I don't, 
a couple maybe. Well, maybe one or two. Yeah. Maybe, but more, but most like a of direct those, competitor is probably like zero. Like mo- yeah. more than likely they're on a coast somewhere. Yeah, the one the ones that raise big funds definitely on a coast somewhere. And then this space too is just very and and this is more like a the personality of the industry, incredibly global and incredibly remote too. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we work with lots of people just they live around the globe. You know what I mean? Are and you gonna move your office into a sailboat? Oh no, we're very like in person focused culture too. Like we love being in the Midwest. We love all of our team members are based in Indianapolis. We love having a local team. I think it's a huge competitive differentiator for us. Yeah. Why? Uh, Why is being based in Indianapolis a competitive differentiator for your Web3 company? Yeah, that's a good question. I probably get that or would get that often. I think one, like one, the the fact that we're in a kind of all local and mostly all, like our default position is like in the office, like IRL work. And that is a competitive differentiator regardless of where you're based. I think if you're a startup, there's so much extra exhaust and lost and just like extra work you have to go through to make a remote culture work. If you're a startup and you're just fighting death every day, like why put in all that effort when if you all just get together in person, like you don't have to worry about all that stuff. It's just like it removes so much overhead. And I don't, I, yeah. And unless you've worked with that team for like decades or something like that in the past, I'm just like default. If you're a startup, like be in person. That's my opinion, but it's working really well for us. And I, you know, I talk about as a differentiator for us, we move 10x faster. We, you know, our, the trust within our team is, is so much higher. And then I think, you know, on the, where we're located here in Indianapolis side of things, like easily, I would say sub- objectively, you could argue this is one of the best markets in the world for marketing tech talent. And I think you've seen that firsthand as well. And I wholeheartedly believe in that. And so I think we're building a messaging and marketing tech platform. This is an amazing place for talent that have built systems at that scale before and understand that. And yeah, granted, we're not in New York. It's like the advertising capital and the Web3 crypto capital right now, either or San Francisco. But I think when we think about just arbitrage opportunities, when we think about, um, you know, the cost it takes to run a business and being here in Indianapolis and just like absolute world-class kind of marketing talent, and marketing tech talent. You can, almost, agree with it. You can yeah. almost look at it through the same lens as technology in the decentralization of innovation. When you look at historically a large portion of innovation, 75% of venture capital primarily go into three states, Massachusetts, New York, California, where you're seeing that trend where there's huge opportunity in the decentralization of things. And I think Holder's a great example of that. Where, the, where VCs get the best return on their money? I'm guessing it's the Midwest. Amen. Amen. There's, there's a study that was just done in uh, the, the middle quarter outperforms the coast on uh, return of capital to VCs by, it was just a few points. Yeah. Um, it, it was somewhere around, I think, one and a half to 3%, something like that. We'll link Huge. it up in the show notes. Midwest is best. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Best coast. Best coast. I wanted yeah. to, to dive into one more thing about Web3 before we, I want some founder do's and don'ts questions that we have for you. And I know we're getting pretty close on time, but. What do you think the most common misconception about Web3 is? Oh, that's good. And, and part, partly some of this is, is rooted in truth. So this is hard. But I think a lot of people just view Web3 as, oh, that's a, like that scam thing. Or that is a get-rich-quick kind of scheme. And so I think that it's, it's just as a very bad rep because of the NFT run-up, because of massive price increase, people losing a lot of money because of that, because they're getting caught up in the hype. And I think looking back now, hindsight 2020, 
people just really like to gamble. This was just another way of gambling and look at sports betting and like all of that. It's just, it's, that was really what like was driving a lot of the PMF market fit and demand of kind of that cycle. And so my like argument is just, I think from the outside looking in, that's just what people like label all of it as. And I think they don't necessarily see the true innovation around the technology and, and there's also huge headlines like, SPF is in trial right now, and that's all over all of the Axios headlines and things like that still. So there's just like bad actors because this space was growing so much and because there were like no rules, no regulations. It happens talk about, in every gold rush, though. Uh, there's a reason there's something called I, fool's gold. I think there's a there's a direct correlation to the dot bomb, dot com days, yeah. and dot bomb, into this Web3 thing. And I think it's eyeballs and then cartoons. To your NFT comment? Yeah. And so it's like, Everybody, all these eyeballs, right back in the dot-com days when it was all coming about, and then everything crashed because people were just, they didn't know how to monetize anything. And now all these other capabilities come around, and so people start making cartoons. I'm oversimplifying, right? But they start making cartoons and getting people to buy and sell them or whatever, and then that just crashes because everybody's like, what? And then, but then now you've, you have the holders coming up and saying, oh, this, this is real. There's real pain here. We can leverage this technology in a, in a much different way, a much better ROI, and we're going to see some massive winners come out of this one of the things i love about holder is it's what do you want to do during a gold rush you don't want to go after the gold you want to be selling the shovels and pickaxes yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's very much that kind of yeah. business where it's you went to work building utility and it's I, I, th I think that's real yeah yeah and i think how do you help the builders you know what i mean and that's what we're just seeing lots of success too like right now in particular like just working with builders like even more directly with ceos and smaller teams and granted like a smaller deal size you know the, those aren't the enterprise deal sizes and yeah you can't make that acv math work out and to the tam question but i go back to exact target all the time marquee customer groupon and like groupon was using them and they were sending 100 emails or something but like they grew with groupon until they were sending millions of emails a day 100%. everybody forgets that, and that's right? what we're then that's what so we're true. building for is can we just be yeah. the go-to place for builders that i just need a crm or i need a messaging toolkit or this is just part of my marketing stack and and that's where it's grow with the industry and be ingrained with the people that are building like truly novel stuff and that's the stuff that i love is like hopping on the phone with a customer or prospector when they're doing something that just blows my mind i'm like you can do that and that's what just i love about it and so that, that's what i would say is there's a lot of it that's just still very technical and so to me i'm like i nerd out on that stuff and i'm like you can do x y and z and to any other normal person it would be way over their head but i think Definitely lean in and try to squint beyond the riffraff and what we've seen happen in this space. Because the same thing happened with GameStop and yeah. Stonks. So it, it, is, there a, yeah. is there a, if you have to leave names out of it, that's totally cool. But so for the listeners out there and everybody has friends or marketers and working for companies there, is there one case study that you can share? If you got to leave names out of it, fine. But, but one example or a case study of one of your customers in like, Bam, this is what we did for them, and this is what happened. Yeah, yeah. We, we work with one of the major, uh, I would call it like a top 10 wallet providers. So they are one of these UIs where I can manage all of my money and crypto assets and things like that in. And hundreds of thousands of uh, monthly active users, very popular product. They struggle with lot, like lots of businesses in this space. Of, I have a really engaged community. I can't tell them about all the new cool stuff that I'm doing because I have no way to reach these people. And so we, we were, they were launching a new product feature. They had this wait list of call it a hundred thousand people. They're on this wait list. We're trying to reach these people on the traditional channels that they were using discord and email and stuff and just unsuccessful. And so 
we started running some campaigns with wallet messages around this new browser extension they were launching and we we're seeing 10 to 15 X the average daily new user signups from when we were sending out the messages. And so that's a lot of, it's just, and that's like batch and blast, like just I'm sending this out to 10,000 people, not personalized, automated, like dynamic, nothing like that yet, which is where we want to see this move toward. Yeah. And it's just like, we're just able to reach an audience we couldn't before and in a more digitally native way. And that's really huge. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. I think it might be about that time, Nate. Is it time for the lightning round? Rapid fire. I, I think it might be time for the lightning round. <clears throat> Drew, this is my favorite part of every show where we get to go through just some rapid fire, quick questions and just talk through lightning round. We're going to get started here. Outside of the amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem, what is Indiana known for? Is this the, it has to say the first thing no that comes to your answers. mind? First yeah. thing that comes to your mind. Yeah. Racing for sure. Racing or corn though. Like I think corn is just back to that. It's a, it's not accurate. It's just a branding problem. It's a branding it's a problem. It's a marketing problem. Yeah. It's a mark. But I love speed. I would love for people, yeah, to say, I don't know, maybe you or someone else has said that at some point. Speed, that, like, yeah. good. speed mm. is what we want in Indiana to be known for. Absolutely. Speed. I like that. What is a hidden gem in Indiana? Oh, we, we have our, our marketing person on the team here with us just hanging out. And she is from Taylor. So this will be from, fun for her. There's a spot in Upland called Ivanhoe's. Have any of you no. been there? Ivanhoe's? Yes. yes. Ivanhoe's. Ivanhoe's? Darian. Darren McHale. He, yeah, he yeah. said that was his. Oh, the really? Ice, the ice cream no spot, way. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like a random. They have 200 flavors of ice oh. cream or t- types of Sundays like on the menu. And maybe we can hit that up why. on our way up to, I was just thinking. Up, up to Sweetwater. Oh, yeah. Is there a, oh, yeah. Is there right, a com- it's right off 69. It's great. Is Perfect. there a competitor that IWU has in Marion, like a, a different ice cream shop? I'm pretty it sure. Is. It's 15 minutes or so from IWU. So it's probably not. It, it, I don't know. We're, we're going to show up for our interview with the CEO of Sweetwater. We're all going to need to take a nap. Yeah. I love it. I tried That's all good. the flavors Sugar of Yeah, There's uh, lots of nostalgic like going there when I was a kid and stuff. And, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's probably why I also think of that. We anyway, have that's to go. That, that's a good we, answer. We, we got to go to Ivanhoe's. And who is someone that we need to keep on our radar? Someone who is doing big things. Oh, Darian is a great example. I love Darian and what they're doing at Qualify. It's great. I think, I don't know, we've got a handful of Or Fellowship alumni here on in the room too, but maybe I would just say like that like program and the kind of the talent that they're cultivating, not to shout out like any one individual person, but I think the impact I think that that program had on my life, huge. I think the impact that program has had on Indiana, on the entrepreneurial ecosystem here, on the startups here, huge. And just maybe writ large, I think that program, the alumni in that program, the current Or Fellows. Don't sleep on or fellows, man. That's what I would say. Don't sleep on the Don't fellows. sleep. I'm, I outwardly say that program changed my life. Like yeah. I wouldn't know Matt. I wouldn't know you. Maybe I would know you, but not. We have this unspoken bond. The unspoken or fellowship bond. Agreed. Uh, we have one more thing we need yeah, to shout out. As we wrap up talking about people that are doing big things, for our listeners or for our viewers, anyone who's viewing at home, You'll see me, Toph, Matt. We're rocking the Home Field shirts. And for those who are listening, what is Home Field? Home Field is the, I'll say the greatest, collegiate, licensed collegiate apparel company. We had Connor on the podcast um, a month or so ago. Founder of Home Field. Connor is a founder of Home Field. If you don't listen to that episode, what are you doing? You got to go listen to it now. They've built an amazing brand around licensed collegiate apparel all here in Indianapolis. Their headquarters is over in Speedway. They make incredible shirts similar to this. What is it? This is Basket Paul. 
Basketball. We got basketball. Basketball. But it's like you're, the holidays are right around the season. You're looking for a good Christmas gift. You need to go check out Home Field Apparel. Get your cousin, get your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, whoever, a cool licensed college t-shirt. Not just the generic throw an IU logo on there and whatever. No, it's going to be something that's, that's, that's cool, pitch. unique. Good for the holiday purchase. And Connor said if you go like my LinkedIn post from a month or so ago that maybe we could get a Monon Bell game exclusive shirt. So for any Wabash DePaul listeners out there, go check it out. Love it. Good shout out. And maybe we'll be wearing some holder gear on a, on a future uh, episode. I, I do. Actually, you wear the holder. You wrap the holder. I love the holder. Yeah. Actually, I was out. I don't know where I was. Out of Indiana. Someone came up to me. This is. I don't know if you get this a lot, so I'm just going to be candid with it. Someone comes up and says, oh, my gosh, I, I love that brand. To my hat. And I'm like, oh, you like Holder? And they're like, Holder? I thought it was Hurley. <laughs> it's the it's very similar to Hurley. If yeah. anyone knows, it's a brand that was really popular with, oh, like, yeah. surfers and your age, Matt. Like, yeah. it's, like, vintage I don't know if for it's me. still around. But... Your age, Matt? I think oh, it, my I think gosh. it's still around. Hurley. I, I think Sold I still have a pair of like, Hur no, Hurley but then I proceeded, I proceeded to give them the No, we're talking Web3. You got to check out Holder. Way cooler. Yeah, absolutely. So. Drew, appreciate having you on today. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah this really is great, awesome, man. Drew. Thanks for all you do for Indy. Oh, thank you. This has been Get In, a Powder Cake production in partnership with Elevate Ventures. And we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for our guest or segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top-tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powderkeg.com slash newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powder Keg Executive Community, check out powdercake.com slash premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for Startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.